Women represent the majority of practicing solicitors and have been over 60% of new entrants for a couple of decades now. Yet 78% of partners are men. Today we're talking about why that's the case, what are the challenges inherent in that, and what we can do about it. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice. An opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. Good morning from Black's Club Soho, London. It's my great pleasure this morning to be speaking with Christina Blacklaws, President of the Law Society. Christina studied jurisprudence at Oxford and qualified as a solicitor in 1991. She's developed and managed law firms, including a virtual law firm. More recently, she was Director of Innovation at a top 100 firm. She holds a range of public appointments, including member of the Family Justice Council, trustee of Law Works, member of the Judicial Diversity Forum, and chair of the government's Law Tech Delivery Panel. Christina was appointed president of the Law Society in 2018 and performs a range of ambassadorial and representative functions domestically and internationally. She is passionate about diversity and inclusion, technology and access to justice, and uses every opportunity to advocate and progress positive change in these areas. On diversity and inclusion, Christina has developed a program focused on women in leadership and law, and we are going to be hearing a little bit more about that shortly. Christina is an award-winning published author, speaker and lecturer and frequent media commentator. A very warm welcome to you, Christina. Oh, well, thank you, Penny. All I can be now is a disappointment to anyone listening, I'm afraid, after <laughs> that, that, not after that introduction. <laughs> Listen, thanks for being here this morning. And I'm wondering if we could start off with your, a little bit about you, a little bit about your story. Okay, so, um, well, with a, as is often said to me, with a name like Black Laws, <laughs> I had no choice but to go into the law. But I, I, I from a very, very early age, um, probably precociously early, I started to understand the impact of law on people and what it meant and how important it was. And, and that really directed me into a very early on into wanting mm. to become a lawyer. Like most young lawyers, I wanted to be a campaigning human rights lawyer. Yes. That's, that's what I, that's why I, um, I aspired to be. And um, so, so I, I followed that, that dream. I uh, originally qualified as a barrister, but having been to Oxford and then uh, going to the bar, I decided that I needed to get a bit more real. So I joined an all women's law firm mm. in Brixton in the early 90s to do community law. Yeah. So uh, my specialism over the years was uh, children's rights. Okay. And that sort of started me off in, in my career. After that, I decided that I wanted to run my own law firm. And, and that really was, uh, again, a, a passion of mine. So I set up with a dear friend of mine, um, a law firm which specialised in children and family law um, and also in uh, social welfare. So very much community based in, in very deprived areas mm -hmm. of London. Um, 
And what we did in the mid in the mid two thousands, which I think is probably one of the earliest, is we established that as a virtual law firm as well. So so at its height, um, that law firm had um, about sixty self employed consultants right. who were working the length okay. and breadth of the country, um, and that was you know part of of my and our commitment to be able to help women to. Um, experience the careers that they they wanted so 95% of um, the people working for the firm were female lawyers uh, and they through the consultancy model they were able to um, to have the sorts of careers that they wanted so so we did all the the, the admin all the background right. all the sort of back office work um, and they were able to go out and be lawyers mm -hmm. uh, and and as long as they um, you know, did what was necessary for their clients and they worked through our system so it started to bring my access to justice and technology stuff yes, together and yes. um, it worked really really well and um, and we say we had over a hundred people working for the firm uh, at its height um, and then I moved to establish the co-op legal services so mm. the the, the co-op as as i think most of your uk listeners will know yeah. um is a big uh business that at, it, at its uh, height had a, a bank retail services insurance travel services right. yep. um and and funeral care Mm -hmm. and uh and so we wanted to to build a legal services business which was a national business uh and i went to the co-op and, and set that up with my colleagues and at its height we were helping around three hundred thousand people a year wow. with their legal problems uh so uh at the same time as uh, running my career, I've also had uh, a real interest and a commitment to campaigning. Yes. So I've been involved with the Law Society and other representative bodies In pretty, the much, yeah. pretty much throughout. Mm -hmm. uh, I, as a trainee solicitor, I worked as a volunteer for an organisation called Rights, Rights of Women. So yeah. it's been something I've, I've, I've done throughout my career. Yeah. Um, and that's given me um, amazing opportunities yeah. to to really um, understand all the issues that um, lawyers are facing um, and to become part of the campaign to uh, ensure that the laws are right mm -hmm. and that the application of those laws are, okay. are correct. So a lot of engagement with government um, over the years and in various guises, yeah. leading to ultimately becoming a, an office holder at the Law yeah. Society. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and you know, you you speak very eloquently about the sort of the golden thread of justice and technology and diversity and inclusion. When you look at your career, um, what's been the most challenging and the most rewarding for you personally <laughs> when you look back on what you've just described to us? So I think the two are always combined. Mm. Actually, for me, I very rarely find something that isn't challenging, rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably just a, yeah. a comment on my personality type. But um, so, so the things that I have got most out of, I, I think, have been um, developing, designing, and delivering new services uh -huh. and, and new ways of, of working um, and moving with, with the co-op, moving to doing something that hadn't been done before. Um, but I'm also really proud of some of the representative 
stuff that uh, has been really challenging. So um, some of which has worked, some of which hasn't right. worked. So um, issues around a recent issue around our campaign to remove the the fault base from from divorce. Yes, you know, that that yeah. was something I um, I felt very proud to be involved and that mm -hmm. was a hard long run campaign yes. we've yeah. been we've been at that for the last 20 years wow. to try yeah. and to try and to to get that but that that um, that has been something i felt um i felt really proud of and that was that was hard hard work to get to um and also uh i think my roles in terms of horizon scanning and and, and innovation right. um, i think i was probably one of the first people to have the title of director of innovation. Now, now they're yes, too it's a not penny. a common term, <laughs> but um, it was you know something that I thought, and I still think, and I'm absolutely almost evangelical about mm -hmm. that. Uh, legal professionals, but actually all professionals, really need to embrace and and own the the, the new and emergent technological solutions mm -hmm. to have any. Um, relevancy in the future to our client right. base yeah. so so i'm again that's that's been a a, a challenging campaign yeah. to to get across the line it's it's difficult to convince people who are really successful that their model is broken yes <laughs> and, and it's not and going it's, to be successful for much it's longer not going to, yeah, yeah it, it it may last out the, their time mm -hmm. if they're very senior mm -hmm. but actually it's not going to work for their colleagues who are coming up and 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 i think we we all owe it to those who are coming up the ranks to have a model that is actually going to be successful is going to provide them with longevity of yeah, career and be sustainable yeah mm. absolutely that's fantastic. I like the way that, as you say, challenging and rewarding always seem to go hand in hand. <laughs> and not to be too afraid of the challenges because actually there are always rewards. Yeah, yeah I, I really, really believe that. Yeah. I know um, promoting diversity and encouraging social mobility is an important remit for you in this role. Um, what's your view of the challenges in this regard to the profession? Oh. Um, unfortunately, this is a huge issue that we have yet, certainly in the legal profession, but I know from colleagues in, in a management consultancy, accountancy, insurance, you know, this, this is one of those issues that cross sections every, every profession. Um, but I'll talk about the law mm -hmm. uh, and I'll, I'll talk if I might specifically about women in the law, mm -hmm. uh, because you know, women have for the last 30 years represented the majority of the new entrants yes. into the legal profession. Um, and certainly for the last 15 years being more than two thirds. So you've got this huge female talent pipeline. Yes. Um, and yet, if you look at our largest global businesses and, and six out of the 10 largest law firms in the world are headquartered in London. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so you look at them, and you will struggle to find more than 10, 11, 12 percent female ownership. Mm -hmm. So, despite decades of yes. women being the majority in terms of the talent pipeline, there's still no opportunity to 
progress your career and to, 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 move to the, the highest level leadership and that's not that hasn't shifted even in the last five years really so it's glacial sticky. still yeah, yeah. And, and in fact you know some of this is, has gone backwards yes. so you just have to look at the gender pay gap reporting mm-hmm. there are a number of law firms sadly whose uh, stats this year are worse than their stats last year right so yeah. so you know there is absolutely no room for complacency yes. in this at all um, and so Understanding, I think, that this is systemic um, led me, when I became an office holder, so it's like a three-year yes. um, um, time that you, you have at, uh, as, a, as an office holder, uh-huh. deputy vice president, vice president, and, and, and then president. So the first thing that I did was, um, when I came in, was to try and get an understanding of why this is happening. Mm-hmm. And my premise was this is systemic. Yes. Yeah, because otherwise it would have come out in the wash. Yes. Eh? Yeah. Um, and so the, the first thing that we did was to undertake a global survey mm-hmm. and we had we we're really lucky to have the support of LexisNexis and the International Bar Association uh-huh. with this. So it got syndicated really widely, ended up being the largest ever survey um, about women in the law. Interesting. And uh, we and published you conducted that. that last year. Yeah, yeah, we published yeah. that uh, last year on International Women's mm-hmm. Day at 2018. Yeah. Uh, and and that gave us some really important insights as to the to the why. Mm-hmm. why this was happening um, and also you know what perhaps we could do about uh-huh. it uh, and not surprising to me uh, but the vast majority of the people who responded to this survey said that the biggest barrier to women's career progression yeah. was unconscious or implicit yeah. or just plain old bias yes <laughs> and uh, you know and that's 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 really hard to to uh, try and unpick and I, I know you've you've spoken about this with uh, with yeah. many many people but it is very much alive and kicking in in the legal profession um and other things like you know the law being very male shaped yes um was was also a, a, a real problem so business development uh, work allocation all of these mm-hmm. things are are really quite designed by men for men and yes. that was that was a real challenge mm-hmm. and of course the 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 continuing difficulty around trying to get a work life flow yes. that 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 actually does work for for people so so those were some of the the key challenges and we used all of that information insight that we got from the survey mm. and an academic literature review mm. whereby we we looked at all of the um uh, academic reporting and research yes. around the world to see you know where the differences were and we, we used all of that to to build the qualitative part of our research uh-huh. is what we've been doing for the last year um which we've done by way of roundtables yes and the, the roundtables really have had two purposes the first was to to really understand um, what it's like for women in 2018, 2019. Uh-huh. So yeah. they were conducted under Chatham, the Chatham House rules. Yes. So they were anonymous and uh, meant that we had some really frank uh, discussion. And um, you know, I, can, I can tell you that some of the stuff I heard in these round tables was quite frankly illegal let alone not best practice. And this was both men and women or largely women's experience so, um, in the profession? We, we, what we terms. did is we 
divided the round tables into women's round tables and men's uh -huh. round tables. So yeah. we've conducted about 240 okay. now women's round tables. Mm -hmm. I've personally done 46, so I've become wow. a bit of a round table junkie. <laughs> um, and, um, and I've done those round tables now in 18 different jurisdictions uh -huh. as, as well. So um, that's given us a, an, an incredible insight as to what it's like for women. Um, the, the second uh, purpose of the, the round tables was to encourage women to become uh, leaders and change makers uh -huh. and empower them to do that through preparing a, a toolkit. Okay. So, yep. um, and so we've asked everybody, and there's been about 5,000 women who have been involved in the program so far through the round table program. We've asked them all to do something, you know, just uh -huh. one thing from the toolkit to to make a difference. And we're gonna see the impact of that, assess that um, over the next six months. And we did the same thing with the men. So um, we have held men's round tables. I, I personally thought, although I had a bit of criticism for this actually, but I, I felt that it was important to separate the men from yes. the women to encourage that openness and yes. frankness. Um, yeah. Because, uh, uh, you know, otherwise, and I'm, I'm quite sure I don't know, I wasn't at the men's round tables, men only space. But um, I'm quite sure from my experience, the women's round tables, that some of the things that some of particularly the younger women said, they wouldn't have said that in yes. front of men. And I hear from my male colleagues, my male champions who, who uh, facilitated the men's round tables, that there was um, you know, a degree of uh, openness that they Yes. Wouldn't and the, the barriers would have yeah. come up from mm. from the senior men who were at that round table yeah. if if uh, if I or other women had been present. Well, that's that's fascinating and um, a really powerful in terms of what you're taking forward. So, what are the sort of things that are in the toolkit, Christina? Okay. In terms of women going out and being ambassadors and champions for change themselves, what sort of things are you equipping them with? Um, so, oh, so many things, <laughs> but um, thematically, uh, there's there's a whole tool kit around unconscious bias. Okay, and yep. so how how to start addressing that? And of course, there are. Um, structural and governance issues mm -hmm. um, as well as cultural issues at yes. play then so so some of the things that we have been suggesting are having a, a you know an unconscious bias champion somebody who is there to keep discussions honest and with integrity because what we know about unconscious bias is I mean it's in the it's the giveaways in the title isn't it yes. <laughs> we need to surface mm. our awareness of our own biases and yeah. of course we are all, have all them. we all have them and and really probably we're only dangerous if we're operating without that awareness mm. uh, and so so to try and keep that really open and honest with with having um champions but also to put in place the structures that support um unbiased as yes. best as we can unbiased yep. decision making so uh from the the start in in relation to recruitment to have that as um uh, blind recruitment yes. processes mm -hmm. uh to have work allocation processes came across really clearly in the, in the round tables okay. has been important women often miss out because work is allocated from the male partner to a, a male colleague mm -hmm. without thinking um, yeah. about that but if you can um, 
if, if you can make that a more objective process yes. that is about uh, competency um, and availability, mm -hmm. uh, then actually women and, and I have to say other people with protected characteristics yes. uh, uh, have a much Start better to chance. Be more in play. Yeah. Mm. And then also things like making sure that on any decision-making body, um, you have gender balance. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and and the, these sorts of things are, are quite simple yes. to achieve, but have but quite they sort a... of cut across the biz, the the bowels of business as usual, or all the yeah, autopilots I mean, yeah, that are very deeply a, embedded. Yeah, absolutely, they have quite a profound mm. impact. So, so that was um, the unconscious bias piece. You had a big piece around addressing equal and gender pay, okay. uh, because you know, that came across very clearly from the round tables mm -hmm. that um, and I, when I talked before about uh, illegal behavior obviously yep. we've had 50 years of equal pay legislation yes, in this country yeah <laughs> <laughs> and yet um, I heard from particularly from junior women lawyers who are saying that um, at one point they realized they were being paid a third less than their male colleague who was less successful um, right. on objective measures than mm -hmm. them and who was or more junior than them. Right. Uh, and so that was uh, quite pervasive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, it does, I think, give some additional insight to, to the significant problems that we have around the gender yes, pay gap yes. in, um, in legal services. Uh, sadly, this is one of the worst yes. areas um, uh, in and relation what's, to what's that. going on there, do you think, Christina, in your view? Well, I think that it's a lack of transparency. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it was interesting undertaking these uh, roundtables internationally because yeah. it was one of the biggest differentiators between the different jurisdictions where um, some jurisdictions it was perfectly acceptable to talk about what you earned and why you earned it and in other jurisdictions completely taboo so really? yeah yeah yes. so, so no transparency at all no, no and um, you know and no willingness or ability of the the women who uh, to find out why they were getting remuner their, you know, their compensation right, yeah. package, Why? what was the criteria, how was it being applied to mm -hmm. them, how it was being applied to other people. So, so that's the real problem, I think. So if we can lift the veil from that and businesses can be much more open about how they remunerate yeah. their staff, then, then that starts to strip away right. the, the real problems in relation to the differentials of pay. And... Then uh, we did a lot, which is around our male champions, yes. because you know that one of the most important things is engaging men, yes. and um, and really until such time as we all accept that this is an issue for a hundred percent of us, yes. and not just fifty percent of us. And yes. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not being critical of um, men, particularly up to date. You know, they perhaps for. Um, you know, very good willed reasons they have said well this is you know w women should be leading the this the solutions yes. yeah. here to, yeah. to, to the the problems of the lack of gender equality but I think what we're saying now 
is that actually it's it's really important yeah. that men lead yeah. give that voice men, to this that men, well more even more than that that they take responsibility yes. mm. and that they make themselves accountable so one of the things we're asking our male champions to do is to never sit on a um a panel where there are no women speaking and in fact you know for those who are willing to do this to go further to only sit on gender balanced panels mm. um and to put forward women colleagues if uh if those organizations say, that say to be the they, situation yeah yeah exactly because that, you know, again when we go back to the 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 lack of women in leadership the lack of opportunity to get in front of the big clients or to um, you know, tick the boxes of having written the articles mm -hmm. and been on the panels and the international mm -hmm. conferences. These are all things that, that reduce career opportunities. Yes, because so, those are the things they would be expected yeah. to demonstrate to be partner material. Yeah, but exactly. you have to have the opportunities to step into that. Yeah. So male champions are really important. So, so vital. Um, yeah. and, and then another aspect of the, the the toolkit was the uh, positive reason for for doing this work at this time and that's because it's our centenary in law yes. um, so it's, it's 100 years since women were um, permitted to become lawyers right. and judges and yes. sit as magistrates uh, because before that we weren't considered to be persons within the meaning of the legislation and therefore um considered at the same level as children right uh, and uh and and we want to i guess celebrate yes. that we've had a hundred years look forward to the next 100 years um, and also to commemorate all those doughty pioneers who, who made it easier yes. for, for the, for for the, the women rest now. of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, and when, to be those pioneers now for the next 100 years. Well, exactly. And um, I had a, a bit of a shocking experience when I moved into the deputy vice president position. I asked our um, library at the Law Society to give me uh, what they had that was specifically related to, to women in the law so that mm -hmm. we could start to, to prepare um, for, for this year. And they came back with two photos. And, you know, and this is, I'm the fifth female president out of 174. Right. So, you know, the Law Society has been going for a yes. long old time. <laughs> and that's all we had. And, and so wow. I think like most women's history, if it isn't collated and documented, yes, it becomes quite invisible. It just disappears. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so we, you know, feel very, I feel very passionate about that. So we've been asking everybody to, um, to give us their, the, the names, photos, press cuttings, anything mm -hmm. about w women. And we're working very closely with a, an organisation called The First 100 Years yes. to put together an archive, an academic archive that could be used into the future. But also um, we will be publishing a book uh, which will have um, hopefully um, as much as we can cram into it about the, the, the first 100 That's years. That's fantastic. But you've had to actually actively seek that out yeah because they're not on all of the panelled walls um but you know they have become quite invisible 
Mm. Yeah, uh, and the yeah. contribution they had made to that hundred years, yeah, yeah, as such pioneers. Yes, yeah. So, um, so it's really important, and I say to to all my colleagues and other professions to to do it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, even if. Um, you know, some some of the large law firms have their own archivists and their yeah. own books and libraries, yeah. but there's very little about the women in in them. So it's very uh, we need to have that perspective uh, and that focus. I yeah. think it's very interesting as well because you are sort of in the heartland with law probably being the first profession to have so many women come in, mm. and then to look back over the two three decades and say you know still in terms of leadership we're stuck you said you really heard a lot about unconscious bias um how was it playing out for those women and then you did the round tables can you tell us some stories for because it is so subtle yeah um you know we know about recruitment and but what were the other things that women were experiencing that they felt actually compromised their ability to progress in the firm well um this is a story that was told by many women, actually, uh, which was about returning from maternity right, leave. Yeah. Uh, and this is an example, I guess, of benign unconscious bias, mm -hmm. where, where um, men and women who are managing uh, think that they're doing the right thing for, for somebody. Yes. Um, and uh, so, so often the, the story would be that they were uh, passed over for... Um, an assignment which would have you know taken a lot of hours right and in or international work right um or you know that that sort of thing which the 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 manager had assumed what was good for her exactly and what she wanted yes yeah without asking. or was capable of yeah yeah, yeah without yeah. asking and um so even uh, without having the conversation yeah, yeah. and and, uh, and i guess there was another sort of thematically um about having people because as say as we agree men and women have bias yeah. um and you know we can't that's from the moment we're born to right now we're socialized yes, so exactly. you know, we, we need to i think i really believe that we need to, to fix the systems and the structures mm -hmm. rather than continuing to try and fix the women yes exactly. um but uh, you know another another um aspect of that was about lower expectations for women so, so that um, people in management and leadership positions would, particularly if women had had children, but across the board, so we heard this from women who, who also were childless, um, that the expectations of them in terms of being able to and wanting to progress their career mm. were much lower than their, their male colleagues. And therefore that, that infused into how they were treated yes. so in, in, in relation to promotion opportunities mm -hmm. or getting in front of good clients and, and, and that sort of thing and then and then a lot about the oh the the the, the narrow tightrope of of having to not be aggressive but be robust you know the set the same uh, language that is used in in a, a very positive way about a man yeah. being a negative yeah. uh, using a negative way rope, for that for... double bind between your likability and your competence yeah. and having to walk that tightrope mm. yeah yeah ex exactly and um and then being treated very differently mm. and um 
um, less advantageously when it comes to things like uh, remuneration and yes. uh, you know and also that going back to the our own uh, socialization yeah. women finding it much more difficult to to argue robustly for the pay increases or yes. the opportunities so yeah. so being more accepting but then ultimately we heard a lot about women then leaving yes and when they found out they weren't being paid the same when they they got knocked back about an opportunity and and you know sort of microaggressions in in a way being yeah. asked being the woman in the room and um you know, it being assumed that you're going to be the one who's taking the notes right pouring the coffee you know um running out to, to find where somebody else has gone the sort yes. of HR administrative burden yes. of life, which yeah. seemed to, to fall much more and to And the communitarian to sort of pro-social responsibilities of making sure everyone's all right. Yeah. Which, which you takes know, headspace and bandwidth it does, from yeah. your work. Yeah. But also it positions you in the firm. That's yeah. your role. And it, you know, and it feeds into um, yeah. some... It, no, I don't want to overgeneralise, but sort of natural inclinations, particularly when it comes to HR issues, where I know many and, and many women talked about this, about having an open door policy and being there and available mm -hmm. for their yeah. team and their colleagues. Yeah. Um, but that not being the case for their male colleagues who would shut the door and get on with the work. And, That's right. You know, yeah. And uh, then look more successful mm. because they were ticking the uh, the boxes in terms yeah. of billable hours and time with clients, etc. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that was another um, insight really mm. about what we needed to change to enable women to become more successful and that's what we value mm. and what we count and what we financially reward because in law um, it's largely about the billable hour and receivables mm. yeah that's, that's those are really the the, the key king success criteria, criteria. Mm. um but but actually we we i think need to if we're going to create culture change yes. we need to start rewarding behaviors differently mm -hmm. um and and this goes way beyond gender mm. actually uh and the exciting thing for me is that um from all the work that i've personally done and the insights that i've uh, that we've got from from the other round tables uh whether i was in rwanda or berlin or uh sao paulo doing mm. these round tables the issues were pretty much the same okay. they're on a they're on a spectrum mm. so you know, some are, are more extreme yeah things others. are much more challenging for women in india Yes. Than, than they are in, in generally speaking in Indian lawyers than they are in, in the UK. Um, in Brazil, you, you part-time workers are legal. So that creates a whole new raft of challenges yep. for them. But, but, you know, the issues are the same and therefore, hopefully, the solutions will also be, yes. be similar. Be and, um, and then if we can distill all of that knowledge into how-to guides, which is the next Mm. part of the aspiration um then if then everybody will be able to make the changes that will shift the needle in their organizations yeah. so we um we last international women's day uh 2019 we produced an insight report for our domestic roundtables. Mm. 
Um, and then we're doing a report for the men's roundtables in May and for the international roundtables in June to coincide with an international symposium uh -huh. that we're holding in London on the, the 20th and the 21st of June. So come along, everybody. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> going to be 20, brilliant. 21st of June, did you say? Yes, in, in London. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and there we're bringing together the whole of the international community to... To launch the, the how-to guides, uh -huh. and also we work with the government and all the other representative bodies in law to come up with a women in law pledge. So, Fantastic. so we'll be launching that as well, uh, because as I end my term as president yes. um, in in July, um, it's really important that the baton is, is passed. Absolutely. So we have the International Bar Association, the government, obviously the Law Society and the other representative mm. bodies who who will continue the work yeah. um, and and hopefully hopefully all of this will make some difference. Oh, it's bound to make a difference. <laughs> I, I was very captured by, um, you know, these issues are systemic and they have at their hearts uh, social prayer programming that's been millennia in the making yeah so you know for us to be really very clear about needing to change it in ourselves and in our organizations so the work to be done around shifting the system and your passion for and capability around innovation how might you think innovation in terms of working practices might might somehow disrupt some of the unconscious biases we have about how work gets done and who looks good and who gets rewarded in a professional law firm? Yeah. Is there, are there opportunities for innovation disruption to help with diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. That's a very insightful question, if I might say, because, because uh, this is a real sweet spot, I, I think, where, um, you know, and some of this is, is less of a, a gender issue it's more of a generational yes. issue so yeah. so you know there's a real driver here to 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 affect change in our working practices and yeah. um, and we need to move and some law firms are doing pretty well on this mm. others are still at the very much in the presenteeism culture but that you know that's that is one key thing is to have um, flexible or agile working yes. for everybody at every level yes. in within an organization to build that culture of trust which enables that to enables people to take up the policies yes. because if people don't believe that they are going to if they think they're going to be disadvantaged mm. uh, by um, working flexibly, let's say, then they're not going to do it. Well, the women might do it because they, they need to. Yes. But, the but men... unless more men are doing it and it's yeah. not positioned as an accommodation to women with children no. as opposed to a really powerful way of yeah. working in a contemporary fashion. And I think that's really, really important mm. that it has to be for everybody. everybody. And there, has, there have to be... Um, male as well as female yeah. role models taking up these these policies um and and i think that you know it's difficult to separate what's professional what's societal but uh you know, what we really need to do is to equal out parenting yes um yeah, and that's uh what we're told by the experts is 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 good for children um yeah. but it's also really really good for women's career 
prospects. Exactly. And good for the men because we know, you know, data shows that men want to be doing more caring yeah. um, but feel that the career cost to them is greater than it is to their wives, yeah. which is very interesting. So that's the challenge is just as women don't want to be locked out of careers, men don't want to be locked in yeah, to absolutely. traditional, conventional, hierarchical careers. There's yeah. so many of them that um, would happily be able to, you know, do more, more, you know, pick up more at home. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, those men who have missed the opportunity, so men of my generation mm. who, you know, saw their kids for two minutes yeah. every day, um, spoke uh, in the round tables very movingly mm. a, about um, you know, how devastating that mm. is. What a terrible them. personal yeah. cost it was for them and their children. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think women also realise how devastating it is for their careers, but they're usually the ones who who for, you know, either have to or accept that they will yeah. or Do. want to. Yeah. Um, you know, accept that that's going to impact their careers. Many men um, were saying that they, even though their firm offered equal parenting policies mm. um, that they knew it would be career suicide yes. for them to take that yep. policy up so so it really has to be you know, businesses have to to walk the talk mm. you know, they, they they have to mean it and they have to not disadvantage people for um taking up what they offer yeah and being um, great, you know, parenting role models. I was yeah. talking to an organisation, a professional service firm, who they are, in terms of wrestling with their unconscious bias, acknowledge that, um, you know, it's often not okay for men to talk about their kids. And mm. so, um, you know, when someone comes back from paternity leave or someone has um, just had a new child, you know, this chairman makes a point of asking the men about it not yeah. just the women yeah so those small things that you know of course, as opposed to you know the male breadwinner and the female homemaker are still deeply embedded in uh, and how we operate with women in organizations and it's a pity because we know more men would pick up more at home yeah. quite happily um and that would certainly enable women to you know embrace their careers more fully although you know, funny, funny thing. Quite a few of the women were talking, uh, and the men, uh, talking about the, um, the fact that men who do you know, the basic things yeah. for their kids, they're like given ticker tape parades. Yes, you know, exactly. oh my god, what an amazing dad! You know, he's going to his exactly. his child's carol concert. Oh, don't we love him? And the woman does the same yeah, thing. Is she, she really committed? <laughs> Exactly. And that's the ongoing challenge, isn't it? Is that the same behaviours are not judged or valued in the same way. And we've really got to get out out of that because that is really tough. And, you know, we end up expecting women to be doing a full shift at work, both socially looking after everyone and then doing the double shift back at home. Yeah, yeah. And and carrying the the mental load of it all, even if they're not physically yeah. doing it yeah. so so yeah we've got a way to go <laughs> we have a way to go and even um uh you know i heard uh, someone the other day and you know she say to her husband are you sh- are you sure you can manage you know and we talk, ha- try that on for patronizing you know <laughs> 
yes, he can manage these as children. Yeah. So there's something about, you know, giving giving up something at home yeah. as well that's yeah, really let important. Go. He's dead. Of course he can manage. He will be fine. Yeah. Um, so it's on the other side of, you know, the ticker tape parade because he does something wonderful, but making it more normal for, for dads to be sharing in that care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to be the ones taking that... Uh, responsibility for working things out as well as doing things. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not just the doing, but uh, not just getting the list in the yes. morning that you've already <laughs> spent all of your evening thinking about that, but actually just getting on with them, being yeah. the dad that they can be and want to be. Christine, it's been absolutely fabulous speaking with you this morning. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your story. I'm wondering as we close, what advice would you have for a woman or any woman who are looking at their careers in general, but also maybe more specifically at a career in law? Um, well, I'd say it's a fantastic career. I've loved every moment of mine. Um, so I would encourage women into the profession, which is becoming increasingly feminized yes. um, in any event. Um, I think it depends at which level you're at, but well, perhaps not. Perhaps this applies across the board, but certainly um, I think you need to be courageous uh -huh. <laughs> always yeah. um, to act confident, even if you're not, yes. um, and to surround yourself with supporters. Yes. Uh, you know, not just non-critical supporters, but, but people who you can go to for advice and people who will say, yes, you can do it. Um, I often find that uh, women need that yes. to say, oh yeah, yeah, I can do this. I'm, mm -hmm. I am going to put and myself I've been so busy forward. telling myself I can't. Yeah. For, for mm -hmm. that. Um, and uh, uh, you know, and get those mentors. Uh, they 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 could be peers. They could be just above you. They're way above you. They could actually be reverse mentors. Mm -hmm. you know, it depends which yeah. which level um, you're you're at. Um, but once you get to a any position of um, authority, I, I think you've got to be really you've got to be kind. Yes. <laughs> so, um, we all need to work hard, but I also think that we need, I think it is beholden on us to, to create opportunities and environments where everybody can yeah. have the chance to thrive. Yeah. So be a really true leader. Yeah. Christina, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking with you. And the story you've told is not only demonstrated all of those things, courage, leadership and kindness, but what a fabulous legacy that you will leave with the work you've done um, over the last well over the last few years but specifically culminating in the summit in june which sounds fantastic so a very warm thank you it's been such a pleasure meeting you christina oh, blacklaws thank you penny thanks for listening to grit in the oyster if you're enjoying our conversations do subscribe rate and review us on itunes and stay in touch penny at pennydevolk.com